Houston, and have a revolution. Welcome to the TCU Podcast. I am your host, Jonathan Andre Culleton. Today we're going to be discussing a real big kahuna of a movie. This is possibly the reason that this podcast exists. Maybe the story of one man who is willing to go against his gender identity to reconnect and stabilize his home with his kids. Possibly. I don't know. It's Mrs. Doubtfire, the 1993 movie starring comedic genius Robin Williams, Sally Field, Pierce Brosnan, some really famous kids, directed by Chris Columbus. Uh, there is a musical currently up at the Stephen Sondheim Theater that adapts the movie, and I guarantee you that neither me or my guest will ever see it. Speaking of my guest... <laughs> Wow. Uh, today, I've invited the person that I've probably seen this movie with most, I would assume. Uh, they are a <laughs> queer mixologist, a historian, a writer, published in Boston Globe, Punch, many more. You can get a unique blend of cocktail creation embedded in history every single week in their cocktail club. It's my sibling, Al Culleton. Welcome, Al. Hi, John. <laughs> Oh, it's such a pleasure to be here. This is so thrilling. This is actually my first podcast appearance. Oh my God, wow. It's such an honor to have you today. I mean, you're my big sibling, so I really am thrilled to talk to you uh, at any point in my life, but today especially. (laughs) (laughs) Today especially because... We have very busy schedules, so we usually touch base once a week, but we have never spent, I think, an hour talking about a movie. So this is going to be an interesting discussion. We were in childhood watchers and rewatchers. We're out of the VHS tape style family. So this one, I couldn't exactly remember if we owned it on VHS. I don't think so. I don't Television. think so. I think okay. it was on TV. And I don't, I just don't remember us having a copy of it. Um, I mean, yeah, we were watchers and rewatchers, but the, the tapes wore out sometimes because you and I started to buy them used with our yeah. own money from the mm-hmm. video store. Yeah. So they were already really worn down. Yeah. We, uh, <laughs> you know. And we loved we loved a Robin Williams flick, this film and Jack. That's and Jack. Jack. Hook? Jack. Right? The when one where he's forty years old and a ten year old boy. Oh wait, that's like big except Yes. I'm just saying that's another one we loved. Hook is another one too, but we really we we enjoyed a Robin Williams movie. Well It's called Jack, it's... right? <laughs> I I'm like blanking on looking at blanking on Jack. Looking we up. all do we all do this. Um, we Jack. all have this. I just put life. in Jack yeah, IMDb, Jack. but it was the first thing that came up. 1996, it's after this movie. And it's oh, also, yeah. you know, an iconic movie about body. 
um, because there's it's a lot a of Coppola movie. Yes, this oh is a weird, God. messed up movie. <laughs> But I'm also, not talking about Sophia. This is when she was still in high school. But I just bring this up a little bit at the top because we did really enjoy Robin Williams' comedy, and he's a transformer of the persona, you know? So this actually is another movie that we watched that had to do with him having a lot of body horror because the other kids were really rude about his 40-year-old body, if you remember that one. So, oh, my God, um, yeah. So, wow. I think I just reached into Al's memory and drug out a buried treasure. (laughs) I blocked this movie out, but also my first memory of seeing Robin Williams in anything was probably before Mrs. Doubtfire. We used to watch Nick at Night and they would play old Mork and Mindy episodes. Um, So I think that's my earliest recollection of that. Yeah. You know, of his work. And um, yeah, he's incredible. I mean, when I was rewatching Mrs. Doubtfire for this, his range uh, and his eyes. Yeah. Yeah. It's deep eyes. Really deep eyes. I just, um, it was incredible. And it's, it's a pretty sad movie. There's a lot of pain there. In all of the move, these movies that we just mentioned, actually. Oh God! I didn't mean to. (laughs) Didn't mean to bring you down, but this is a really great segue into our nostalgia scan. Let's just ask ourselves how much nostalgia we really have for Mrs. Doubtfire. Um, And I know that sometimes the scan can be a a little tricky for uh, first timers. So if you would like, Al, I will go first. Please. Scanning. Okay, so this one, it's it's a real high movie on my comedy list. As a trans person, I don't immediately say, ooh, this is going to trigger me or anything. That's not the relationship I have with it. So it's pretty pure in my mind, I would say. The performances are amazing. Big Sally Field fan. Um, mm-hmm. And I was very, very interested in living in their house. Um, as a kid, I was into the house. So I'm going to give it a 95. Scanning. I think it's, I think it's a 90 for me. I think, um, what really strikes me about it is the timing. So for you listeners at home, I'm two years older than John almost exactly. So for me in 93, I was nine for all of that year, except for the last six days, because I'm a Christmas Day baby. (laughs) And uh, nine was a a good time for me. Speaking of those golden years before uh, a queer person is disrupted by puberty are just incredible. You were in your element. <laughs> yeah, I really was. I was great at baseball. So good I was at baseball. having a having a good time. I was in scouts. I yeah. I was very busy and active. We both were. My personal queer icon at the time. <laughs> <laughs> I think also we were still really like in doing theater and stuff yeah. then. Yeah. And that's before, you know. It's kind of before everything gets too serious. Like, you can be serious about 
the arts and serious about sports and stuff without having to be like scary serious about it and yeah. um so i think that's why the nostalgia reading is really high for me as well because watching the movie like transports me to that period of time and yeah. also to you know one of the heights of me consuming film like mm -hmm. i i think that i don't know if movies have just changed you know or like it's right. i think obviously the advent of like extremely high quality television and the psychology of you know we see those memes and it's like you know yeah. person who can't pick a movie just watch five hours <laughs> of a television show, right right you know right and it's like I think it's just my relationship with cinema has changed and shifted. And I think like, you know, that period of time, it was just like everyone saw those movies, mm -hmm. you know, mm -hmm. like everyone saw it was it was a lot like when television was more limited, you know, like right. there weren't as many options. So it was more of a shared experience. And I think uh, that's something that really sticks out when I rewatch something like Mrs. Doubtfire that like most people I know would have seen it, you yeah. know? Yeah, yeah. The talk of the town um, in the 90s. This was a big movie and I think was in the public consciousness a lot. Um, I'm very thankful for the podcast making me rewatch movies and sitting down and paying attention to every frame, really. Um, yeah. This is kind of a great experience because even as a filmmaker, um, it is hard in the modern day to just sit down and pay attention. All right, let's get into the synopsis. Uh, now, Daniel sometimes uses uh, his real voice as Mrs. Doubtfire and is no longer channeling her, and she's a persona that uses she, her, so I did pr approach this as a drag persona, mostly, mm -hmm. shifting back and forth. Um, that's my approach here. Feel free to chime in. Um, I've been inviting people to chime in on my pronoun approach, but perhaps we'll stop asking people to. Please don't come for me. It's a choice. I think because the the people around her really think of her as her. Yes. Like they really <laughs> accept her as a yes. cis woman who's yeah. only supposed to be 60. It's... I'm sorry. No. That's crazy. She's supposed to Okay, I can believe like 70, 72. Sure. And old, and old-fashioned, sure. but like 60? Yeah. Oh my god. I mean skin conditioning was not good. 60 is 22 years away from me. <laughs> I is <laughs> <That is> not <laughs> This is not a look into our future. Don't worry. I was, yeah. you know, really, uh, I was remembering uh, as they put the silicon mask on, you know, the fact that they decide that Daniel's face is too leathery and that the what you're seeing yeah. is actually like a thick thing of silicon and makeup. Yeah. We meet Daniel. Um, first thing we know about him, he's a talented voice actor. The talent of, say... Robin Williams, and this is something he's employed with. He's a, he's got a cartoon character that has some problematic moral leanings, smoking a cigarette, and this is another thing we learn about Daniel, that he has a moral compass. He's not a bad guy. He goes off script and eventually gets fired. 
Mm-hmm. We meet his three children at the bus stop. He's picking them up, tells them he's quit. They're not surprised. So that kind of informs us of a little bit of the dynamic already. Yeah. It's little Matthew Lawrence's birthday. And Daniel mm-hmm. is going to throw him a party, even though they all know that the mom does not want this to happen and it's not supposed to happen. Because the child has not gotten the right grades. Right. That semester, so he's not allowed to have a party. Yes, this is so a then, style. <laughs> yeah, so we're going right around the mother already. Right. Um, Disrespect. Yeah, I mean, it shows, like, I mean, I have a lot to say about this aspect of the movie, but it yeah. shows a lack of cohesive partnership. It shows, like, a combative dishonest relationship it's really unhealthy as it as it is right exactly (laughs) why this happens so quickly is it feels very satisfying to us because we're just sucking the poison out you know yeah as two people that think about their you know relationships and stuff a lot i know that that we were both thinking okay that's that's good 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 yeah (laughs) yeah i want to i want to see this right now (laughs) basically it's that both both Daniel and um, Miranda, the mother, are like gender nonconforming characters to begin with because he cannot get it together to fulfill the stable provider role, which is antiquated and dumb. But, uh, you know, and she is is for lack of a better word, and what we would have said in the 90s, a bitch. Right, I mean, like, I've cut that word out of my vocabulary because it's really misogynist and fucked up. Right. But I... It's like she's the the breadwinner. She's the bad guy. You know, like, she's breaking out of, like, the mold because she's with a partner who's also broken out of the mold. So it's just interesting that we're starting out the story with this like upside down even in the 90s was still definitely considered a like topsy-turvy family structure true true so now we meet miranda it's sally field that's such a blessing um she's she's doing a great job already she is (laughs) the neighbor of course, that whoever that iconic character actress is, there's that lady in the court liaison that are like ladies that you're just like, oh my god, hundred movies. I know her, and you're doing great. <laughs> exactly, you're iconic. I like the court liaison becomes like is so charming when she meets Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes, she's like, if you can do it, I can do it. <laughs> she likes Mrs. Doubtfire. She like, loves she's... Mrs. Doubtfire. <laughs> That could like, be a relationship. You know? <laughs> yeah. That could be a relationship, I know. I yes. feel like there's a lot of potential relationships uh, yeah. for Mrs. Doubtfire. The bus driver, yes. the court liaison, and I think the team, Lundy? The Mr. Lundy. Yes. <laughs> yes. Lundy is also hot for her. Yeah, definitely the bus driver was one I wrote down. Um, so we'll talk about all of Mrs. Oh, yeah, Doubtfire's suitors. <laughs> So um, amazing. Uh, So this neighbor calls Miranda about the party and she returns home to just a raging house full of kids. Uh, Don't do this to this beautiful house. It's like a petting zoo. Yeah, and the farm animal eats the cake, which really made me upset because it's probably really not good for them. Well, it was a goat, I think. So they have like amazing 
amazing digestive systems. They can eat like anything. Sure, sure. And they can scale a flat surface. They're amazing right. creatures. Um, <laughs> um, so then, you know, Miranda literally pulls the plug. Um, everything's over. Everybody's kicked out. And this leads immediately to the conversation um, with the kids on the stairwell. Great. About the divorce. There's this moment where Miranda sort of realizes that she doesn't love him anymore. He's kind of been operating on that premise, and that's you feel it on this very amazing actress's face that, yeah, she's deciding that she does not love him. She wants out. Well, she loves herself more. She's deciding to, like, end the pattern. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think, like, whether or not she loves him, because obviously something brought them together. And she elaborates right. on why she was attracted to him in the first oh, place yeah. later. But, Dupper. like, yeah, to Mrs. Hubbard. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> and, um, you know, yeah, like, he's right. He's been operating, as you say, on this premise that what they have in common is that they love each other. And she just can't do it anymore and yeah. honestly I don't really blame her I mean I think the movie is so focused on us being endeared to Daniel as a character yeah. <clears throat> but I do think that <clears throat> Miranda deserves some sympathy as well um, yeah. because oh, what yeah. she's saying is really like well, she literally says you get to have all the fun and I get what's left over Yep. And, you know, um, that is really sad. Like, imagine having three, like, school-age kids who are supposed to be, like, the most fun people in your life and, like, not <laughs> having any of the fun, you know? And, right. And having, yeah, ha she says, like, you, you know, I bring home a cake and you throw a secret party. Like, what yeah. the fuck am I supposed to do with this, you know? This is when we start to queer up the place, of course. Uh, Harvey Wa uh, Firestein, Harvey Weinstein, Harvey Firestein okay. enters. <laughs> um, yeah, right. Yikes! Um, Daniel's gay brother Frank, who lives in a fabulous apartment of wigs and makeup, he works in the movie industry with his partner. So this is just a, a great little lead-in to needing them very badly later, but we get a little sweet relationship. <laughs> It's incredible. I mean, it's very cute. Frank's on the phone with their mother. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're right. It's teasing us for like what will be the main scene for Frank. And, and I think it's Jack is his partner. Right. And, and Jack is how he's referred to later. Yes. Yeah. There's a level of acceptance already um, here. Just a wide level of acceptance I agree, and I think it's also, like, a film that's made for a really big audience demographic, children sure. and their families, and the setting is crucial because that's what people in... Sorry, Nebraska, but I'm picking you. <laughs> that's what people in Nebraska at the time mm -hmm. yeah. were like, oh, this is San Francisco. This is how everyone is. Everyone has a gay brother who lives with their partner and is a right. makeup artist. You know, right. it's like this kind of blown up, cartoonified, because it was a more queer city than many cities then. It was famous for being that way. So I think playing that up, and it's also the perfect setting because it was such an iconic 
place for like a very specific type of 80s and 90s bouginess, which Miranda yes. is the the epitome of. She's an architect. Mm-hmm. The house is the value of that home at this point would be like I don't know. It's on the corner. Yeah. It's, it's like it's the perfect. Crazy. Yeah, it's it's a it's a typical it's a typical San Francisco home yeah. built right after the fire, probably so sure. early twentieth century, um, just like perfect, beautiful. Um, there's not much more to say, but the yeah. fact that um, it's the sophisticated version of the sort of like middle class utopia, upper middle mm-hmm. class utopia we see in, in movies like Home Alone, because actually it's even fancier because. The Hillards live in a major city, right. whereas the McAllisters live in the suburbs of Chicago, right. which they live in a big, expensive house. But it's still not like this urban lifestyle that they get to like walk everywhere and sure. be by the water at the park. You know, they still have to drive everywhere. And, right. you know, it's just this is more sophisticated. Anyway, you yes. know that I'm like a cultural <laughs> historian. So I love I it. see this. I see this stuff like, I see this stuff very clearly when I watch a movie like that. I'm like, oh, they're really sending these signals, you know. Daniel and Miranda go to court for uh, custody and Miranda's awarded sole custody, which is because of Daniel's lack of a job. But he didn't have an apartment at the time of the hearing either. True, but that was... He's staying with Frank. How long? Oh, right. True. Yeah, yeah. That was bad optically as well. But it's like, that was a big, um, like, I would have expected him to have a job, but just to have been moved out of the apartment uh, or the home with Miranda, I would have expected maybe to be okay with living with a brother, mm-hmm. you know? Like, that's harsh. But they me. don't have, but they can't, he, sh- he, he can't have... fit. I mean, J- Frank and Jack's apartment is small sure. from the way it's portrayed. So, sure. like, it's about, like, even having, like, a spare okay. bedroom or a pull-out sofa for the child, the children. Right. There's three of them okay. to sleep on. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, like, this stuff. And it's really, like, you know, just to recognize that, like, this is a fictionalized story. And yeah. family courts do not move this quick. And they certainly don't move <laughs> this quick to indigent people many people of color and people that are low income who are dealing with the realities of this. And this is like, I want a divorce. And then it's like, okay, you can't have your, you know, you can't have your kids except on Saturday. Okay. This is moving really fast. Like he hasn't even gotten the apartment yet. Like your confusion about that shows that like it's moving way faster than it would in real life. Uh, As, as both of our parents are uh, public defense attorneys, we, we can attest that this, uh, the movie court is not the real life court either. Um, no, and wow, what a benevolent judge! <laughs> right at first, he's like, "I'm so sorry, I'm doing this to you, sir." Uh, we get a little taste of uh, the what what the like little forty five year old in a five year old body um, thing is happening with Mara Wilson, which is just such a weird. Weird, uncomfortable trope, and she's just so, like, precocious and uh, all-knowing in some ways that she's just doing a lot of the heavy lifting for the adults in some scenes. A ton of it for the story. I mean, she's she's really driving the story because the other children are older. They're more fully formed. The 
innocence is yeah. all placed on the youngest child, who's actually seven years younger than the middle kid because right. they call they referred to her as a five year old, and yeah. he's turning twelve at the beginning. Yeah, Lydia's pr- like obviously the 14, yeah. oldest one. Yeah, and so it's really like she says she's driving the whole train you know and is the reason for everything and she's the reason anybody does anything well that's the thing about her like i actually haven't seen all of her movies right um i think think so yeah no i haven't seen matilda but like she typified a style of child sure. actor. Daniel goes to his court liaison's office. There's a incredible first of uh, first of many incredible character montages. Doesn't get any respect for what is honestly a real talent. She's not a fan, mm-hmm. but he does get this job uh, at a at the studio uh, packing and shipping canned film. I guess once it's in the can, they sh- they ship it. Uh, <laughs> to the processing center. Uh, I know. <laughs> what are they doing? Do they have syndicated shows they're producing in the studio? I, I'm like, you take I, those and you ship them. <laughs> I mean, he's a style icon, that guy. Sure, sure. I, he's right. like, he's got the glasses. He's oh, got yeah. his little cap. He's got like an old school like polo shirt. It's it's working. Probably the way we'll both end up. Yeah, he le- I mean, he has a great look. He's supposed to be Italian, I think, which is like a sure. big population in San Francisco. Okay, yeah, yeah. He's he's quite a character. He's not taking any shit. Enter 007. And there's there's something between Sally Field and 007 already. There's there's like despite, you know, his name being Stu, um he's like really into her from some past connection. We find out later. That it's from college, right? But but really, never like a huge huge details. It's just like, Mm-mm. why do they really feel it's? It feels like the connection is still very strong. Like they barely speak around each other in the first scene. It's like a one who got away thing, yeah. Yeah. and be, this is all amplified because she she's going through this divorce. So exactly, he comes. He's building a he's turning some mansion into a b&b exactly yeah yeah exactly the kids around this time go to daniel's new place they have chinese food and are like horrified by the apartment and eating like takeout everybody's really not right in this situation so (laughs) no and it's not their fault i mean they're children and they're upset and they yeah it just it really is is sucking and and this is a key one of those sort of greek drama tropes (laughs) that that's what i always call it when there's like a misunderstanding a trick uh something that changes the whole plot and what daniel does is he demands to see the ad right that miranda (laughs) is placing for a housekeeper because she needs help. She's at work and she needs somebody to take care. One of the kids is five and the other kids need supervision while she's trying to wrangle the children. And this is after they've been (laughs) fighting in front of the kids from the second she's barged into the door. Um, He changes a one to a four and a three to an eight (laughs) in her phone number. She gives two phone numbers. Classic. And it's so satisfying. Like when I rewatch that scene, I like could 
I pictured it already, you know, like yes. the form and everything. It's very like visceral. <clears throat> it's like, whoa, like I remember that really well. Yeah. And so then he set it up so that he will be the only person responding to the ad because nobody can get through to her of course and cue another <laughs> string of voice mo montage of different calls that he's making as horrible candidates um as horrible candidates one of whom is a trans woman one of who oh god yeah yeah well one we're gonna mention that right now because and i i wrote it down john Miranda says, oh, I have two girls and a boy. Yeah. And and the person says, oh, a boy. I don't work with the males because I used to be one. Okay. See, now I did miss that on, on this rewatch. I just, maybe I even repressed it because I was really paying attention. I but... think she's supposed to be Swedish or something like right, that. Great. Because so, I used to be one. <laughs> right. So that so that's a direct fire. Um probably about 15 minutes into the movie. That's one of the first uh, yeah. Maybe yeah, tw between 20 and 30 I think. Yeah. But you're right. It moves pretty fast at the beginning. It's a 2-hour so long movie, right. so you're probably right. Now even though uh, Daniel has a conversation as Mrs. Doubtfire chooses uh, the drag name in the conversation, as is classic to these movies, in the conversation yep. with Miranda, gets the interview. He still goes to Harvey Firestein's and gets the makeover and they try out a bunch of different looks to allow for another set of... Um, there's a Barbara Streisand thing. There's the matchmaker thing. I mean, I just... This is the part that I just remembered, like emblazoned into my mind yeah any closer than you'd be mom it's not that effective of a joke i think because so they're painting a few pictures like they're implying that they're of eastern or central european descent and possibly <laughs> of jewish heritage right. because when they're doing the matchmaker matchmaker part of that montage mm -hmm. um they say something like oh you look like bubby yes yes and then they're saying that this like supposedly like old english lady right whose accent is so bizarre <laughs> like yeah really i mean that's what pierce brosnan's character says later right, right. um uh but yeah basically like <clears throat> that that's like their mom. So it's very confusing. Of course, this movie, like most movies in the 90s, has some really kind of shitty, like ethnic and racial uh, moments. Sure, yeah. Um, one of whom is a character who I think is supposed to be Cuban. Mm -hmm. Who's like, you know, this woman you know it's robin williams wearing a black wig uh, and yeah. um, yes. i'm not gonna do the voice but it's just that's pretty bad yeah. uh but yeah. i think as far as triumphs like yeah the barbara streisand segment is is the best um yeah. if it had all been so famous good. people it could have been really really iconic because he he could do a bunch of famous women probably it's true i mean it's it's amazing what he does in that scene with barbara and yeah i mean it really and then the luck be a lady comes on and they're making <laughs> making the mask and right, right right it's really it's really fucking cool and i also wanted to mention at the end of that scene 
when they show Frank and Jack, Frank's outfit is like what? Like a young millennial queer like cis man <laughs> would wear today or Gen Z would wear today. It's like a very bold oversized yes. overshirt. <laughs> yes. Yes. I mean, and even like the hair and the beard. Yeah. It's just like, yeah, like they're queer culture. I mean, too bad those people are too young to have seen this movie. No, but I do believe that <laughs> queer culture ripples. Yeah, I know. It's like straight people co opt that shit. Like sometimes I look at young straight men and young straight women and is young straight non binary <laughs> a thing? <laughs> Yes, I and I'm like, maybe. I had that haircut. I had that haircut in 2005. Right. I had that haircut in 2009. I had hair That's in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> John, your hair was so gorgeous. The years you did have it were more than other people get it's, for life. You know what? I, you've never said that to me, but that makes sense, and I thank you for that. Beautiful. Beautiful. Remember when we went to the barber shop in LA and got our hairs done? I mean, I still can only go to queer barbers. I'm like, I still go to New York to my queer barber. Mrs. Doubtfire comes over for the meeting after uh, this character is totally put together. And she starts to work her Mrs. Doubtfire magic on the kids and Miranda immediately. Immediately. She, you know, obviously has a dual purpose in not wanting Miranda to talk shit about Daniel, but she does, she does stop Miranda from, like, kind of gets Miranda to admit that she's doing an unhealthy practice of constantly talking Daniel down to the kids. Yep. This leads to Mrs. Doubtfire getting the job. She goes home on the bus, of course, and this bus driver is introduced to his immediately crushing on her again we'll go over all the love interests <laughs> daniel complains about the heels walking home that was a, a thing that i noted here this is kind of one of the first times that he mentions things being really uncomfortable mm-hmm. the court liaison shows up here how did he forget about this meeting how is he not because prepared? he's he's oh, it's overshadowed by the immediate reward of right. being able to see his kids right so instead of going through the channels the official channels yeah he's excited at the idea that he's gonna do this you right. know i mean this behavior he does not recognize it as obsessive behavior until the scene at the pool the country club or whatever pierce brosnan belongs (laughs) to when he says what am i doing here this has become totally obsessive and i think he just to him the reality of not being able to see his kids except on saturdays it's just it is unacceptable. And so, you know, like, I think that those, the film does a great job of introducing us to him in a way that this is believable. Like yeah, he's a peak The fact that stress. this is happening is believable. Yeah, and, and who he is is yeah. someone who doesn't think like other people. So, you know, it's... but. But watching it as an adult, you're like, oh, my God. (laughs) Right. How are you thwarting the authority of the court, all that? That weighs on me a lot during this movie. I mean, the fact (laughs) that he wasn't, yeah, put like that he wasn't prosecuted for some kind of. Right. 
violent yeah. it, like i mean that's like incredible i mean the fact that yeah they at the whatever we'll get there we'll get there <laughs> but this necessitates of course uh our first needing to be both seen uh the thing with the tea and the meringue um which oh the current liaison drinks and that's just amazing that she drinks it and, well, puts it and she face. puts it on her face which is like it's like She's yeah she is, en- she is enchanted by mrs doubtfire so what happens during this is it really is i think you know this and the scene at the restaurant towards yeah. the end of the film yeah are the two that that yes both both Mrs. Doubtfire and Daniel have to be there because yes. Miss, Mrs. Selner, Ms. Selner, Ms. Selner, yeah, yeah, she is uh, encounters Mrs. Doubtfire at the door, who then lies, yes, <laughs> saying that she is Daniel's <laughs> sister, Daniel's much older sister, and then it just <laughs> spirals, continues to spiral, and then she disappears. And Daniel, you know, he switches the voice when he's still in right. Mrs. Doubtfire yes. garb. Yes. So then he's yelling to yes. Mrs. Sel- Ms. Selner, oh, you know, like, I'm a new man. I've been going through so <laughs> many changes. And, you know, you're, like, watching him in this suit peel off the whole thing. I mean, yeah. peel off the face, peel off the body, take off the wig, take out the teeth. It's like incredible it's a lot easier for him to change out of the suit than it is to put it on i think because of the face and everything but he he says oh i just got out of the shower so then he comes out in kind of like sweats and like a towel and very believable you know very believable (laughs) and then he makes the mistake of saying my sister um you know half english half sister and then he says she makes a fantastic (laughs) cup of english tea and then Miss Selner says, I'd love a cup of English tea. <laughs> and that just sets off a new problem because yeah. whereas he could have gone in the other room and said, Oh, Miss Selner, I'm just getting in the bath. Yeah. yeah. Instead, she, you know. She goes she, in the kitchen. She goes, she has to go in the kitchen because now, okay, here's another. Because there are several moments in this movie where children are used as a pure measure of how sick it is to be mm. trans, drag, yep. etc. The big one comes and this later, is, but this one. The big one comes later, but this one is when two kids that live in an apartment that can see directly into Danny's apartment. Yes. They call him Danny sometimes. Sometimes, yeah. Um... And, you know, these two kids are laughing at him because he's naked, but he's actually putting the suit back on to make the tea, I think. And so he has his window wide open, no screen, (laughs) and the kids are laughing at him. And then he gets the suit on just in time to turn around and reveal that it's a suit of, of a female form Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and the children immediately stop laughing and say sick yeah um and because this is like the height of perversion right that like this man haha he was naked and now he's a woman and that's like disgusting you know yeah Yeah. um it's quick and then they start laughing again because he in trying to you know, he doesn't want to be reported. I think that's what I thought when I was watching right. the scene again. Like, 
God, is is he going to be found out? Is somebody going to call the cops or something? I mean, this is like another moment of like societal pressure against what he's doing. And he knocks the face off (laughs) its little mannequin head onto the road. It's sitting there and it's fine as he realizes that he has the wig on, he has the robe on, he has the suit on, but he has to get to the kitchen. So he sneaks to the kitchen (laughs) to make the tea and he's talking the whole time in Mrs. Doubtfire's voice. (laughs) Yeah, I need a face, I need a face. He's inside the fridge looking for a face and sticks his face in a fully frosted, full-size cake. There's a piece Um, cut out of it, I believe. There is a piece cut out of it. And that maybe is supposed to tell the story of like a person living on their own. Maybe he was hoping to have served it after the Chinese food. Right. And the children were taken early. Right. Because Miranda shows up early. Devastado. So there's a lot of detail in that cake, but the cake serves a purpose. The biggest issue for me is that what's on his face I'm a food person. Oh, For yeah. those who don't know, I go beyond cocktails. What's on his the face tea. is not what's on the cake. <laughs> okay? It is clearly a buttercream frosty on the cake. And it, Mrs. Doubtfire tells us herself, it's yes. a meringue mask. <laughs> Suddenly, he has a egg white-based yeah. Yeah. frosting on his face. It's... Um, but the whole thing works because not everyone out there cares about such details i actually think that the buttercream would have stuck much better and not leaked because it's more stable there are types of buttercream (laughs) that use use white egg whites in them but sure basically what was on the cake would have worked better but what what the scene needed was the tea the tea dialogue so he's Oh, you know, like, <laughs> would you like one, one lump or two? Oh. And he knows he can feel it melting off of his face. So yes. meringue mask. And at this point, I it still gets me. I think Ms. Selner is going to be like, who the fuck are you? Yeah. What are you doing? No, she completely believes it. She's totally charmed. Yes. And she's psyched about not only trying the tea, but also trying the meringue mask on her face. (laughs) And I think that's where the, that scene ends. Daniel has shared with her that he's holding down two jobs, the house cleaning and the film can shipping so you know that it's a positive no he lies about the film can shipping no he's still doing it something Uh, no he says something about a job at a tv station lots of responsibility that's what he says but i you know responsible for the shipping and they didn't give him any training we watched his training that's true first day for mrs doubtfire no tv Homework, schedule, things Daniel was not implementing as a dad. Um, but as it is part of his persona, he's able to do it. He does not, he is not able to cook. And this it leads to a disaster. The uh, whole suit with the rubber breasts gets caught on fire, necessitating him ordering dinner from the fancy restaurant. The food looks so 90s. Yeah, the carrots. For dinners. Yeah. 
they've ordered even the littlest one, a full adult-sized dinner, apparently. Right, right. And it costs him something like $140. He pays $140. He wasn't going to tip, but with the I tip, know, it... that was, like, really messed up. It's like, this is delivery. Yeah. This is the night that Mrs. Doubtfire gets on the bus, and, of course, the bus driver sees the hairy leg. Not opposed. Um, no. Another little... Uh, hint of of the relationship there daniel is finding it more easy i believe this is in a montage to basically have structure have boundaries with the kids the kids are getting happier daniel learns to cook just like our mom from julia child um on the Mm -hmm. tv yeah miranda is now also starting to date stew Mm -hmm. he comes over this is the scene where Mrs. Doubtfire maims the car. They have really heated, heated dialogue. And then that night, Miranda and Stu are going on a date. And this is, this is the big one, really. Matthew Lawrence's character, Chris, I believe is his name, walks into the bathroom, sees Mrs. Doubtfire peeing, uh, standing up. And there's stuff, uh, like... I just listed them out. Doesn't want to hug dad after he finds out it's his dad because of the outfit says he, she, which was a thing that definitely was emblazoned into me from childhood. I remember this moment Mm -hmm. in this movie, Lydia shrieks, Mm -hmm. shrieks when Chris says that Mrs. Doubtfire is a half man, half woman. And then Daniel reveals himself when, Frankly, the kids are just berating Mrs. Doubtfire, and he feels disrespected. Mm-hmm. It doesn't, to me, felt feel like entirely like don't talk to people like that. It's like don't talk to your father like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the biggest thing while well, Chris is being used, yeah, the masculine perspective. Um, mm-hmm. So like the fact that he is obligated to be more disgusted by this yep. than Lydia is. Yeah. A is 12-year-old like... who wanted strippers at his birthday party. Right, which is so strange. <laughs> um, and he's also told that he's the man of the house when Daniel moves his last box out, right. which is like, you know, I mean, it just goes to show, like this is the 90s we grew up in. It's like, Things seem like so progressive and permissive and then it's like really just a facade for like a very traditional structure and very traditional morals. And I think the thing that struck me the most was, yeah, like Chris's panic. We have to call the cops. Yes. Um, Because um, it's just incredible because in those moments, like our our training about, especially at that time, people were getting much more serious about protecting children from right. things that, you know, it's the scariest things, you know, out there in the world. And we were <clears throat> really like all taught, you know, those kids that were being cared for as we were like, we're being trained to, you know, listen to our instincts and speak out and beware and stranger danger and that whole yeah. thing. Luckily, it was a time when children often still did have neighbors and neighborhoods. And um, I don't really know what the situation is now, but like, right. <laughs> you know, at least we had people that 
were vetted all around us who our parents knew. But yeah, I think that um, all of those lessons for Chris are like kicking in all at once, but it's also his disgust because he's being trained as a cis male assigned child um, to automatically be like, I'm not a faggot. Yeah. You know, like, I'm not like that. And the need to show disgust where Liddy, once she says, is it really you in there, dad? She's able to embrace him immediately, which is because, you know, female assigned children are really taught to think in a more dynamic way. Right. And taught to sublimate their own feelings and situations. So suddenly she is, is immediately wanting to comfort her dad who's clearly going through some shit because (laughs) you know he's been doing this to be around them and so like (laughs) it's their their like assigned genders are just like being amplified to a thousand here and actually the character of daniel slash mrs doubtfire is kind of receding in this scene for once we're actually not thinking about that character's feelings and we're thinking about the children who actually their feelings like are very surfacey except for the very like mara wilson's very poignant lines yeah um we're we're supposed to assume a lot about their feelings whereas like we are really shown how daniel is feeling throughout the film and to an extent miranda as well the language that's being used and the anger it's just, uh, it's hard to watch a little bit. It was really hard to watch. When I knew it was coming, I was like, oh my God, please just lock the door this time. <laughs> yeah. You <exactly>. know? <laughs> like, lock the fucking door. Why? Yeah. Why? It, it, yeah. Why, why? I mean, because it has to, it has to happen. Has to happen. I mean, it's right, believable yeah. that a 12 year old doesn't knock, especially in sure. his own home. Sure. Um, sure. But I think it's also believable that the reason that Mrs. Doubtfire is not taking precautions such as locking the door or sitting on the toilet. Sure. Which she would have been covered. All the important areas would have been covered by her very long skirts. She could have avoided this, but she did not. And it's because it's her home too. I mean, she lived there. And maybe maybe a practical thing like, you know, (laughs) some... Some things about drag where the actual practicality of peeing is difficult for her to sit down. Yep. In the midst of this, uh, Daniel is starting these talks with Mr. Lundy, who is this studio head. And there's this. He's just hanging around there all the time. (laughs) I think they're not, it's not doing well, and he knows that. This boring dinosaur show. Mm. And Daniel kind of impresses him a little bit. Yeah. Then there's this scene. Uh, this is uh, around the time that Miranda and and uh, Mrs. Doubtfire also have this sort of like talk about her fake dead husband. She's better without Daniel, and she believes mm-hmm. that he will be better without her too. Mm-hmm. So I think it, it's like almost as though um, this was always going to happen. Like yeah, he yeah. went like out of his league or whatever right. for someone. Or, you know, like he got together with someone years and years ago who had dated people like Pierce Brosnan because that's what we're being told is that they kind of dated at one point when they were young. 
<laughs> and she was always like this. She always wanted somebody that was more like that. And yes. so then it becomes like a new aspect of his obsession is that this man is trying to take away my children. Yeah. yeah. Not only my ex, but my children, which is like the more immediate issue to him, I think. Like it's right. not... It's really like a desperation that is deeply felt. And I think he's taking these actions from a place that is obsessive, but also like sane. We have uh, Mr. Lundy saying he wants to have a meeting with Daniel, is interested in what he can do to change the children's programming, which is which Daniel's perfect Because for. Lundy walks in on Daniel, who's <laughs> you know taking a break or whatever, and he's on the set and he's doing this whole routine which yeah. is of course a pastiche of current uh musical forms of the time <laughs> some of which is appropriative when daniel's doing it sure but um still mark of, talent. <laughs> mark of talent and r.i.p this cues us up because we get the meeting with lundy and then Miranda says that she is going out for her birthday not only with Stu but the entire family and she wants no excuses uh, from Mrs. Doubtfire to come to this dinner. Yeah, um, because Mrs. Doubtfire doesn't give a good excuse. She immediately <laughs> thinks the bingo night, like sure. something that's ostensibly weekly <laughs> or yes. just frequent yes. as a good excuse because it's what an old lady would do. Right. Unfortunately, it's not a strong enough excuse. Like she should have said, I had you know, an I'm going to visit procedure. my friend at a retirement home in Half yeah. Moon Bay or Marin yes. County or something. Um, she's on her deathbed. Yes. That would have worked. Yes. But without, without Mrs. Doubtfire needing to be in what is supposed to be one of the fanciest restaurants in San Francisco at the time, Bridges Restaurant. Bridges. They, you know, they we get set up for this incredible scene. This is an amazing um, another need to be both situation. Yeah, all of it is a, just a complete mess from the beginning. And something I didn't really understand when we were watching it as kids is how drunk Daniel gets because he's drinking at both yeah. tables. And um, it's been proven like in the movie like you can tell he's not a big drinker. There's one yeah. scene when he's learning to cook from the Julia Child tapes or whatever on tv where he's drinking a beer a beer yeah, yeah. but they never show him they show him drinking at the pool um he's having a couple beers mm -hmm. he gets a little bit drunk which is actually pretty believable for an older english lady to be having <laughs> a glass of ale or something sure, sure um so that's not incongruous but that there's kind of some problematic stuff to that scene that we can just kind of say it's problematic but he's he's <laughs> ogling really a crazy. young woman yeah. for two you know he buys her her seltzer and lime that yes. she's ordering he forgets himself because he is a little tipsy sure. and that behavior is like really really happens um when he's at the restaurant because the guy lundy is kind of a typical you know <laughs> entertainment guy yeah. so he's drinking drink. scotch on the rocks and he's already been drinking because he's been waiting so then he makes daniel drink too to catch up with him yeah changing in the bathroom there's stuff with that about like 
female presenting person um, coming out of the men's room and vice versa. Daniel returning to Lundy's table with lipstick and then playing it off as, you know, being oh, a that's cheeky one of the lad. <laughs> and that's when it's like, yeah, being a cheeky lad, you dog. That's the worst. Yeah. But that, that, that exchange is hilarious because uh, Daniel says you scallywag (laughs) (laughs) back to him because he is drunk because he's had two glasses of Chardonnay and three or four scotches and he's not doing well and so he's come back he's wearing the perfume that you know yes whatever it smells off. like why why does he need um, to add that I, to the doubtfire costume? i guess maybe even the doubtfire clothes smell that sure. way sure and then you know he has a lipstick and girl i used to date waitress it, yeah. the whole thing is gross um yeah. does she have a friend for me there's a joke about lesbians yes. hidden in that dialogue where uh, does she have a girlfriend in the old sense of the word? Another female friend. Yeah. But Danielle says, well, who knows? It's the 90s. Yeah. So there's a lot of bad stuff in there that's like misogynist and homophobic. It's definitely bad, but it's also feels very true to that particular character. There's a weird dichotomy with being like, this is like the key to all of our protagonist heroes' dreams. Is this guy that's like disgusting and we're believing that disgustingness. In the middle of him going back and forth, it's revealed at some point that Stu is allergic to peppers. Which is like <laughs> such a fucking broad category. Sure. Like, are we talking about bell peppers? Uh, in the end, we're talking about p- paprika or yes. some kind of hot pepper spice. Um, I don't think that there is a restaurant on the planet that has a jambalaya on the menu that does not have an array of spices that cannot just be left out. Yeah. I mean, what would it be? Plain rice with <laughs> some kind of stock-based sauce? I mean, it's... Just absolutely ridiculous. It's also a really interesting moment because jambalaya is, of course, um, you know, a dish that comes from Louisiana. And it really shows like there are many points in food history when dishes from New Orleans become really famous on the national scene. We used to eat like Zatarain's yes. uh, brand jambalaya, <laughs> which is, you know, yeah, you throw some shredded chicken in there, yep, yep. you know, and um, I think maybe you throw some veggies in, maybe you cook some, some onion it, or yeah. something, but it's mm-hmm. a, pa- a spice packet that's full of different yeah. kinds of peppers. Because you so, need that to, for it to be the dish. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and so the, the dish that he's served and i would love to go back and just look at the food in this movie but (laughs) i think it has like a lot of muscles and stuff on it when we see her doctoring the dish and this is another um clear like he's drunk he can't even remember which character he is he he they start to show the confusion just in trying to pull this off yes. even before he becomes intoxicated. Right, right. And then it just gets harder and harder for him to keep it straight. So right. now he's going into the kitchen. This is nobody. This Mm-mm. doesn't matter how busy your kitchen is. If that is just putting on a chef's jacket and just going in there and using like a giant like restaurant size thing of 
Fabrico or Cayenne yeah. probably is what it yeah. is. He overhears in she, Mrs. Sapphire, yes. overhears Stu when he's telling the waiter, I'm allergic to pepper yeah. or peppers. Yeah. Again, if you have an allergy that's severe, like this is... Say it louder. Yeah. Also, I don't think the Heimlich usually cures anaphylactic shock. Gets it but... all out, Al? Just all out. <laughs> Get it I out. I was like, okay, this is something where, like, your, like, system is reacting to yeah. something and your airways are closing, not like you have a piece of food stuck. Well, so... also the pow- powdery nature, you know, could have made him choke, but I agree that he needs to go to the emergency room to get a shot. I think, I think you're right. There could, there might be a couple things happening because I think he's trying to kill him, but maybe it was <laughs> the wrong kind of pepper. He's accidentally <laughs> trying to, so he's trying to cause Stu harm yeah. by adding the ingredient. Yeah. But maybe what happened was, like you say, there's so much spice and stuff on it that right. he gets a piece of muscle or whatever yes. stuck in his throat yes. because that's the only thing the Heimlich would help with. <laughs> Anyway, the whole idea is that I guess like part of the moral of the whole story is that Mrs. Doubtfire brings out the best in Daniel and the children and in Miranda. And um, it is like some of the best parts of him distilled and he's able to see that he obviously doesn't want stew to die because one yeah. he could be tried sure. um for something yeah <laughs> i feel like he, he feel death. like he feels like he went too far like he didn't he went too he did far. not and so, assess the danger <laughs> and then we're we're back to the first day that mrs doubtfire interviews when mm-hmm. miranda's reading her resume aloud and Oh, you're an expert in yes. first aid and the he- CPR and the Heimlich maneuver. Yes. And um, so it really, like, he's running across the restaurant as Mrs. Doubtfire. Mm-hmm. This is after he's accidentally sat down at the table with Lundy as yes. Mrs. Doubtfire. Yes. And then he's like, the, he plays it off after, a like, character. a very painful character. 20 seconds. Yeah. <laughs> Um, of not knowing if he's gonna why come up with something. <laughs> yeah, why are you just? That's you're what he says. As a woman. That's a yeah, question. and this is after he's interrogated him about why do you smell like a woman? Why yeah, are you wearing yeah. makeup? <laughs> then it's like this is your new host, and it, yeah. it works. And then Miranda is yelling across the restaurant for Mrs. Doubtfire because yes. apparently she, she is remembers. the only person that knows. <laughs> how to do the Heimlich yes. maneuver. She runs across and in the, you know, the actual physical force it takes to dislodge this from Stu's throat through the sure. Heimlich, sure. her face has fallen off. Of course, of course. And that, that of course, is like the outing. Sally Field does an amazing job with the whole thing. It's Daniel, <laughs> Daniel, Daniel. <Hold> <laughs> The whole time. The whole time. <laughs> the whole time. The whole time. You would. The whole time. Oh, I'm. I'm sorry, Miranda. Uh, please. Don't talk to me. It's pretty great. Um, we have to go. We have to go. Yeah. You know, and and, yeah. um, and because the older two kids, and I don't think that 
Stu or Miranda notice in this scene that the two older kids already know. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Um, because they're so blindsided and the two older kids are like, Dad, should we still go home with Mom right now? <laughs> She's asking us to leave. I know you're my dad. I knew yeah. you were my dad when you were sitting here. Before. Yeah, exactly. Of course, with this court system, you can just call them right up and go right in and say, yeah. I want this and yeah. this. So then, you know, we have the custody hearing uh, mental health cited as the reason to revoke anything but uh, supervised visitation for Daniel. Mm-hmm. Miranda's just, she's still shook, but she's processing. You can see on her face that she's processing still. And then in the process of, um, uh, does it say a, uh, in a super, uh, like on the screen, six months or something? It's got to be a little bit of time because he's really affected by the supervised aspect of the visits and, and the time that's really... been going on yeah and the amount of time it's been going on and you know he basically implies that um he uses the word deviant he says yeah. that the soup the court liaison thing like looks at me like i'm some kind of deviant when i tried to show my children physical affection Definitely not the same court liaison. That was a reassignment. No. Yeah, I mean, yeah, definitely. Miranda comes to the TV studio. And this is after Mrs. Doubtfire is now the host of the show. And the kids and Miranda are watching it every day because apparently she doesn't work in the afternoons anymore. That's like a whole confusing thing. She can't find good help. can't find anyone. Um, so I don't know. She, and, and they kind of actually do imply it. She's on the phone taking a work call, um, at one point when she's at home with the kids in the afternoon, Yeah, she's like talking about like delays on some supply thing she needs for her architecture business, you know, yes, and yes. <laughs> all this stuff. And so she's shown to be, you know, doing it all and working from home in the afternoons yeah. and meeting the kids from the school bus and, then they are talking about Mrs. Doubtfire like she's a real person. She says, we have to stop. She's not real. She's right. not a real person because they're all <laughs> saying what they miss about her. <laughs> and then they hear Mrs. Doubtfire from the other room, but it's coming from the television because this is the 90s. People that were not conscious in the 90s, the television <laughs> was always on. If it wasn't on in the living room, it was on in the kitchen. Yeah. If it wasn't on in the kitchen, it was my mom watching her little TV in her the tiny bedroom. tiny black and white TV. Tiny TV watching British comedies. Um, PBS. You know? Yeah. PBS. And um, yeah, uh, the television was the soundtrack of our lives. <laughs> which is why we which, didn't own this on vhs and saw it so much <laughs> yeah i mean there are a lot of movies that are only that are i only saw on television because they played a lot anyway yes so this, then this we gets hear, miranda to the station and yes and having this real talk well they they and while the supervised visits are going on they're also watching mrs doubtfire on tv every day because they miss her yeah so it's some period of time you said it might have been six months it might have been you know several months and it's really painful for all parties involved and so finally miranda goes to the station and they start fighting again because that's been their dynamic for 15 years yeah and she says it's got to stop yeah. And it's like one of her character's best moments because she 
really is showing her like most open self recognizing she says out loud like this is that this is causing damage to our children we'll be fine i mean we're already fucked up we're not Mm -hmm. gonna get any more fucked up from this yeah but the kids i mean are they're suffering greatly so i think it's it's awesome and she instead of pulling away when he starts fighting with her she goes through with what she came to say which is i actually want you to be the after school caretaker yep and essentially have shared custody and then they fuck it i feel like it's a little bit fucking with the kids to be like your new babysitter is here and then to be like it's your dad yeah. I was like, you need to have a conversation about this. Come on, meet the new babysitter. Just yeah, me. Come on. Come on. <laughs> yeah, it's like, okay, that's not cool, man. I feel like you should have been like. We got you. Guys, I talked to your dad, and he's going to take care of you after school. He's coming today. Even if it's like he's coming in 10 minutes. That's ridiculous. I just feel like they've been through so fucking much. Like it does not. uh, That was just. But it's a movie. So they had to do it like that. (laughs) But all's well that ends well. Uh, Question mark. Um, They at least are able to have this relationship with their dad. I think that, uh, you know, that closing scene is a great way to lead into our discussion. What? Starts me off thinking about this movie is some of the dialogue that's come out about it being problematic. The new musical definitely invigorated some of that, and a lot of think pieces have come out. Across the board, when we discuss things on the TCU podcast, we come up with a, you know almost every single movie. Is this a problematic gender narrative, trans narrative? Is it taking pieces that feel like a trans narrative, disrespecting them, misrepresenting them? And what I recognize um, is a really problematic 90s cinematic landscape. I do really like, as we're talking about that conversation at the end, some of the gender discussion and breaking of the gender norm and gender expansion that Mrs. Doubtfire's journey gives to all of the characters, I think is reflected especially in Miranda and Daniel, especially Daniel being able to figure out some way to have literally have Mrs. Doubtfire in his life Mm -hmm. every single day, whether he's taking care of the kids as Daniel in a a supporting, you know, parent role Mm -hmm. or as, you know, Mrs. Doubtfire is the host of this Mm -hmm. show. Mm hmm. I think what struck me the most, and this kind of goes back to my earlier point, as far as a gender journey, like there's a part of me that like doesn't want to give that to this character. Yeah. Because in the end, he's a cis man who's like, even though at one point he's unemployed and houseless, Mm -hmm. he still can get a job. He can still get Mm -hmm. an apartment. I don't know with what. Like he still has so much privilege and I think like the the only kind of like angle that I can get to like oh he did have a gender journey is Mm -hmm. that he literally had to like embody woman yes to be deemed a suitable caretaker for his own children um and I think it really speaks to that you know 
what I've been saying this whole time, which is like, yeah, it's uh, the 90s were not that dissimilar to previous decades where, yeah, it's like um, just reinforcing the stereotype of what a dad should be and what a mom should be and that like a mom should be able to take on all of these new responsibilities like being yeah. a breadwinner and being a, a the emotional caretaker and being able to have a completely clean house and being able to cook all the dinners and be you know and it's like yeah like her Miranda's seems to have it easy because she has it figured out but it's not yeah. easy like what she's being asked to do societally is not easy a lot of women of that generation would identify with that you know it's sure. like yeah of course you want to work in a career that fulfills you mm -hmm. but the pressure of that alone is huge and then you know to kind of like also be worrying about screwing your kids up so badly right. so i think that's where i kind of like sympathize with Daniel's character and the gender journey, like he can't do it as himself mm -hmm. because he's oddly constrained by being like a free spirited cis man who's like yes. very anti conformist, um, but who's pretty conformist to like some things about his gender, having the freedom to be that kind of parent and yeah. to not be completely written off, you know, like. If a mother acted that way, especially at that time, like she would have been like deemed unfit immediately. Yeah. The fact that he really had to get into the character, like he had to change his personality into someone else to yeah. bring out the things that were actually inside of him, like the ability to make sure his children did their homework so they don't yeah. like flunk out of middle school or whatever. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think you something know? interesting to remember, too, is that in the beginning, he's also a partner who's being totally, like, supported in his creative endeavor, which is probably yeah. a less secure career than the one that Miranda yeah. has. So the ability yeah. to do that, a uh, little bit of complacency, he has a huge wall up. And I think we see the wall continue because right when he walks off the set as Mrs. Doubtfire, he's like somebody's slapping his ass or something. And it's like, hey, bud, like there's like a whole like male yeah. thing. So we're led to believe that this is like a faucet, you know, in a lot of ways. But through the gender journey, I think the things that don't turn off immediately for him are the ways that the gender expansion just opened his mind to, yeah, not being yeah. a shitty parent. I mean, he yeah. really had no excuse to be a shitty parent because he had time and, you know, the funds to do everything. So totally. uh, it's disappointing. Yeah. yeah. The movie, like, is, there's, like, some really fat phobic moments. Sure. And there's also some really, like, sex negative moments. Yeah. Like, um, that. The conversation uh, with Stu. Yeah, about how Miranda has a vibrator sure. and um, she has crabs, which is like, <laughs> you know, an, obviously yeah. like a pretty strong thing to say. And also just like so uh, a vestige of like VD and like mm -hmm. how like, you know, like yep. when it was like this in between time where it was like, yeah, we should talk about sex, but like 
certain people that were of a certain class and who are married it's like you know do you need to talk about sex really at all because like if you have one partner and you know it's like yes yes it's just like this shaming yeah thing that's like about like she's a sexual person and like the fact that you want her for sex is shameful too and yeah, like yeah. it's from his perspective and it's through yeah. Mrs. Doubtfire's voice of like it's supposed to be prudish but then again she's shown herself to not shy away completely from those issues like when yeah. she says um Winston's idea of foreplay was <laughs> Effie brace yourself oh my which is like fucking so God. screwed up so I think like the it's very typical of the time and it's very typical of like a movie geared towards families at the time where it's like we're doing all this stuff that's like way outside of the box and this is like a really crazy story but we're reinforcing that trans people are scary and you should call the cops yeah you know we're connecting that with stranger danger because that scene with chris and lydia is like they have grown to completely trust this person in their home and suddenly that moment like never is it entertained that she's an elderly trans woman <laughs> yeah exactly. you know like who's right. just a nanny you know yeah. like and not to and, yeah not to know? gloss over so, that moment yeah that yeah exactly it's like I hope that in the future it's like not gonna be weird, you know? Like yeah. we're gonna have so many elderly trans folks. And yeah. I just think that there's like a lot of yeah, there's just a lot of shittiness from that period of time. Honestly, it's fucking shitty right now. Mm-hmm. I don't know yes. what to say. I yeah. thought things were gonna get way better, but I feel I mean it would be hard to like not talk about this at all, but like things for trans people and queer people in general and gender non-conforming people non-binary people like myself yeah i just things are really scary right now and i think that like i'm just glad i'm not fucking 15 years old i do want to talk um i want to make sure that we thoroughly uh, acknowledge some of the interest in Mrs. Doubtfire. I know we've talked about um, the court liaison, the bus driver, and Mr. Lundy. I think an overarching um, thing, and this extends a little bit to Miranda, is that you know Mrs. Doubtfire is an attractive person in a lot of ways. Um, has like mm-hmm. a lot of skills. Um, it yeah. has her shit together has her own style that fits completely well with what she's doing. She's kind of a top. Yeah. Oh, yeah. She's a situational top, you know? She comes in, <laughs> she takes control, and she makes sure everything is going well. <laughs> yeah, exactly. She's a, a real caretaker. Um, she's yeah. going to check in with you. And I, I really um, appreciate uh, the persona that she has that kind of extends to, yes, um, uh, taking care of the kids, being sort of a person of structure, 
but mm-hmm. also like it's a, it's attractive quality for people outside of her family, people that might be interested yep. in her, um, like yeah. her court liaison. So there's some sort of uh, <laughs> this is Doubtfire 1.5 where we see, you know, yeah, they date after, and it's a whole gender journey for the court liaison as well. Um, but I know. <laughs> well, I mean, it might not be gender, just sexuality. It might be a sexuality journey, um, but knowing the whole truth. Um, I'm not sure why she was removed from the case. That's a lot to unpack in 1.5. But One of the other big gender moments with Chris is, geez, you're big for a later lady. You could play for the 49ers. And I think like that was another one. I mean, it's true that she's larger than a lot of 60-year-old right. ladies. She's a big frame, but yeah, who taught him that? Yeah. And it's like really, um, and then also fact check, I do not think that that she, okay, so we're talking 1993, she's supposed to be 60, but she definitely looks older than that. Um, so we're talking Ooh, about she yeah. would have been a student 40, 45 years <laughs> before. I just don't oh, no. think that they were letting women play <laughs> soccer in England then for any school or any team. I sure. mean. sure. Uh, yeah, I uh, we're wondering if yeah. this is a countryside village. It sounded very official, you know. Jumpers for goalposts. Um, like she was the captain <laughs> I, of the yeah. women's team. It's like I I don't think right. so. I'm sorry. True. They barely let women play soccer anywhere else in the That's world besides probably accurate. now. Um, just kidding. I know women's soccer is a big deal now, but like you that. know, I just don't <clears throat> really think. That's still Victorian era almost. We're looking at World War II period or just after. Nobody was freaking playing. Like women weren't playing soccer. They were like yeah. getting married, having babies, uh, trying to like help the country recover from like huge economic devastation that brought down their sick empire. <laughs> so anyway, we could go into this for a long time. But yeah, I just don't. I don't see it. That was... <laughs> But it, it goes with the, it, the, in a way you could a say that it corroborates the fact that Daniel is making this whole thing up because Stu call, calls her out on the accent as yeah. well, which has some notes of Scottish. Yes. I mean, we could be talking about the North, but it doesn't really sound like a Northern <laughs> England accent. Um, it's just not, sure. it's just not right. I've never, ever heard anyone with that accent and I watch more <laughs> British television than the average person. I know you out there think you watch a lot of British TV, it but I'm talking about like 90% of what I watch is from England. So, And it has been for many decades. Yes. That's the key. So um, I am, and that is not real. Anyway, that, that's, that was the only other funny note I had besides the whole thing is racist, sexist, and um, fat phobic and sex negative. <laughs> well, <laughs> I did. Well, I hope you enjoyed the film. Um, <laughs> turning it over to our game segment. Ooh. I, I, I appreciate that um, reaction. Our guest today, of course, as I said earlier, <laughs> is an ex- expert mixologist. So... I thought on the fly that we could invite Stu, Miranda, and Mrs. Doubtfire to our bar 
and try to craft quickly a signature cocktail for each of them, okay? So we have stew, part James Bond. So in my very basicness, I was like, is this a play on a martini? I kind of want to bring stew and Bond into the drink. And I was thinking the drink could have a name that was double O Stuvis. (laughs) So those are my ideas. I was thinking more of like, he's this kind of, I can see the martini aspect, but I think it definitely has to be like straight vodka, which like the original James Bond martini recipe actually is mostly gin with a little vodka and even less of this quinine infused uh, aperitif wine. I'm seeing like this kind of like 90s, like overly healthy sensibility in his in his drink when we're looking into our crystal ball like I'm Mm -hmm. I'm kind of seeing like a martini that uses vodka use has a little bit of salinity because even though he's he's definitely allergic to peppers of many kinds um maybe it has like a little bit of like a spa water feel to it so, like, thinking of vodka being popular yes. at that point because um, it's, like, well, it's popular, like, all through the mid to late 20th century because it's supposed to be skinny, like, no sugar, and it also is odorless mm-hmm. and tasteless. And, I mean, it's odorful in that it smells like right, booze, but right. it doesn't have a distinctive smell. Like, gin is has this, like, juniper, like, evergreen tree, you know, smell to it. So somebody that thinks, like, yeah, clean and lean. You know how they have, like, at fancy places, they have, like, cucumber water and stuff? Yes. I'm seeing, like, a vodka, yeah, a vodka spa spa water martini. So, like, you use, like, mineral water that's been steeped with cucumber and maybe, like, a small amount of salt um, for that kind of like mm-hmm. savory thing that people like in dirty martinis. Um, yeah, maybe there's like a little bit of mint or basil or something thrown in there with the cucumbers. The sort of like uh, cartoonish like 90s martini glass, oversized martini glass, and having it poured from like a very mm. cold bottle into a very cold glass. Refreshing. Yeah, maybe it gets a lemon twist, but I'm seeing like, yeah, maybe mm-hmm. something more tweezer food inspired. Like, yes. does it get like a snap pee? I don't know. But it's really an interesting, like something that's supposed to be like incredibly refined, but actually like wouldn't taste like much. Oh, my God. That is perfect. You nailed it, Al. Wow. Um, I'm blown away by that as somebody dry. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Not just your humor, but your teetotal. <laughs> exactly. Next, we have Miranda. Now, you know this is a this is a professional powerhouse person. I kind of was thinking about. I was getting Don Draper vibes just for the drink. I was gonna call it the Flying Miranda, but she really isn't anything like her Flying Nun character in this movie. Um, no. But uh, you know, I think something that is like a like an after dinner or midday drink or I don't know. Am I off on that? Um, I'm seeing like 
I'm seeing something like maybe continental and refined. Mm -hmm. Somebody that's been able to travel who's like picked up some favorite drink in Rome or something. Uh, Definitely has to have wine in it because at the time wine really came into vogue again Mm -hmm. and became something everybody drank. Um, At that time, like wine became more accessible. Not that she needs that to access things because she's a person um, of means, but Mm -hmm. this kind of mark of people um, who know about like what they drink in Italy and France. Mm -hmm. She was a student there or something back when she was dating Stu and she's like loves... Like in France, they have something called the Cure Royale, which is like uh, creme de cassis, which is like made from black currants. It's a pretty tart, but also sweetened liqueur. It's topped with champagne or some sort of sparkling wine. Or she maybe she spent time in Milan or mm-hmm. Rome and she loves something like a Campari soda or an Americano. Mm-hmm. Um, something that's like this very like continental thing. I think it's like a Campari soda or like it's like a Campari spritz or something like that. It's like Campari rocks like um, slice of orange or something like that. Yeah, you know yeah. like Something that you could drink before a meal or after a meal. It's fine for day. It's time for fine for night. You know. I love that. I think we're gonna appease Mrs. Doubtfire um, with a drink. I wondered, you know, is she British? Is you know, what part of Great Britain is she from? What's going on? Do we have any sort of lineage thing? Is there two drops of meringue in the drink? No, there's not. Um, uh, But I do think um, for whatever it is, um, I I know she orders a Chardonnay at dinner. Um, We see her drink the beer. Those are her sort of inclinations to alcohol. Um, Uh And I definitely think this drink should be called the the Euphigenia. So um, I'm kind of seeing... Something interesting that maybe I'll turn into my own. <laughs> <laughs> yes, copyright. Um, so I love that, she, like, she's drinking the beer. I love that beer is mentioned several times. A Guinness truck killed her husband, which is one of the purely <laughs> funniest bits um, because she's setting it up to shock Miranda. She's like, you know, he was fond of the drink and she thinks that. He died of, you know, Uh, alcoholism related. Yeah, like liver (laughs) problems or something. But it's actually a Guinness truck and that's hilarious. (laughs) What I'm seeing is kind of like something very English. Yes. I'm thinking like a a Pimm's cup. Yes. Which uses like a bottled product called Pimm's number one. It's Mm -hmm. a gin-based liqueur. It has tons of botanicals. It dates back to the early 19th century with... This guy named James Pym mm-hmm. had a little oyster like eatery, you know, like he served a bunch of oysters. It was in London mm-hmm. and he would put like gin in a barrel with all of these botanicals, you know, okay. roots and flowers and and flavoring agents that are all natural because this is pre-industry. And it's the number one product, you know, it's the, the first product he comes out with and it's gin based. So yeah. It's still a very popular uh, product. Fast forward 200 years almost. (laughs) It's 
still extremely popular, especially in summer. Most people put cucumbers and strawberries and oranges and all kinds of things in it, um, sometimes muddled, sometimes mm-hmm. not. Um, it's really a bot. I'm actually doing PIMS for my next cocktail month. club mm-hmm. next month. Yeah. Preview. In April, because it's kind of like a garden party type, you nice. know, drink. Um, so what I would do is probably make something that's kind of cross between a PIMS cup and a shandy. So a okay. shandy is usually lemonade, half lemonade, half beer. Mm-hmm. Sometimes it's half ginger beer, half beer. You know, it's mm-hmm. basically like cutting your beer, um, what would often be ale in the UK, which is a type of beer, mm-hmm. uh, with something that's zero ABV and, and fizzy and flavorful, mm-hmm. usually fizzy, sometimes lemonade. It can be still, but it usually means bottled fizzy lemonade. Anyway, I think I would shake some Pims number one, maybe add a little extra gin Mm -hmm. uh, in with that for fortification, or actually scotch would be great. So the Chivas that is mentioned in the movie, you know, or or a more basic brand. Um, And then I would add some lemon juice and maybe a little bit of some kind of sweetener, honey Mm -hmm. syrup or simple syrup. And then instead of topping it with fizzy ginger beer or fizzy lemonade, I would use a nice ale as the sort of soda on top. And actually, that's a freaking great idea, and maybe I'm going to do that. Wow. Uh, I mean, you know, that's... uh, Having it born here at our podcast is actually a real honor. So I I would like to dub you now the official mixologist of the TCU podcast. There wasn't Aww, a, thanks, Jay. Not a crazy amount of competition, but I am seeing <laughs> that our fictitious characters are enjoying their drinks. Um, oh, <laughs> so now uh, we have our final segment, which is our gender icon award. Um, so my pick for the gender icon is is Frank because uh, he accepts the gender expansion in a queer way that needs to be in this movie. Uh, I know the movie falls short in a lot of ways, depending on perspective, but I do like that he is there, like, quote-unquote, queering up the place. I just did the Mulan episode, and he did the exact same thing in that movie. We're talking Uh about gender and stuff, and there he is. And he's a real catalyst to the story. Nice special effect level drag that he provides. Yeah. And I love that he's making an appearance on the kids' show. They, that's like a little line that Daniel has at the end that Frank, the spe- movie special yes. effects artist, is coming. Um, why did you pick? Why did you pick Frank? I just love that it's an overtly queer mention. I mean, that's like really what's missing from this movie. It's like a clue at the outset as to why they're setting it in San Francisco, mm-hmm. as I said earlier. But I also think, like, if I had to not pick Frank, I feel like weirdly the my attention is drawn to the bus driver because it's really complicated but i think what he says i'll just quote it because it's (laughs) interesting i like that mediterranean look in women (laughs) natural healthy just the way god made you and then mrs dapfire says well he broke the mold when he made me dear he made me very special (laughs) and then the bus driver says he sure, sure did. did. Made me dear. You made me very special. 
Is your date? <laughs> and then dude looks like a lady plays. God. Something about the attraction there that speaks to the fact that like many cis men are attracted to trans women. Yep. Like instead of just deriding that character for being like creepy and like right. hitting on her when she doesn't want the attention. Right. I think it's an interesting moment to look at like we're talking about 1993. The bus driver is 65 or 70 years old. <laughs> yes. Um, we're bringing it back to, yeah, World War II era and before. So then we have this before the ideals of femininity changed. Like if you were a person in a rural place, were you yeah. shaving your legs? If you were a person in X culture, or Y culture, were you shaving your legs? Where yeah. You know, it's like this thing that in the 90s they were referring to as Mediterranean, somebody that is naturally more hairy in certain places than other people is actually just like the way that most assigned female people have hair. The erasure of body hair in our culture, especially by the 90s, is so sick. It is disgusting how we shame people for that. And yeah. I think that I have a lot of trauma around that. Yeah. Queerness should not be the only avenue. Um, and I actually right. do think, like, I don't know that much about Gen Z, <laughs> <laughs> period. But I do think that, like, I've, I've heard that there's a different approach to that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. I totally. hope so, because it's like, it's just... It's terrible. I don't know if I'd give him the gender icon award, but I just think he's <laughs> somebody to pay attention to in the movie and his two short appearances. Sure. We'll give it to Frank and we'll give him a little baby award for being um, of his age in his time period and having mm -hmm. an, a gender expansion in his mind. I want to thank you so much, Al, for spending time with me today. I have enjoyed watching movies with you for decades and in particular talking to you about this one today. You are doing really incredible work, a uh, queer icon of the drink. Uh, where can people find <laughs> you and join Al's Cocktail Club? Al'sCocktailClub.com would be a good place to find information on what we do. And if you do decide to join us, it's also the place where you will have access to our members only portal where we have all of our recipes in a database that's searchable by spirit and other ingredients, uh, also by time period, style, some interesting keywords as well. So there's lots of resources behind that member portal that um, I encourage people to join us and have a chance to check out. Um, I also try and teach a virtual cocktail class once a month best place to keep up with all the happenings in my work, whether it's my latest piece of writing for a publication or our, our newest club theme, is on my Instagram at al underscore culleton. Um, don't forget the underscore or else you will find our Uncle Al Culleton. <laughs> Which will also be a treat, but yes, it's at al underscore culleton. Thanks for having me, Jay. It was really fun. Of course. You can support me, of course, by following the link tree and watching Bombshell wherever you see fit. So many ways to watch a gay trans man navigate single life in L.A. What could go wrong?
great show. Watch, <laughs> watch that show. Thank you so much. And also follow, like, and subscribe. Listen every single Wednesday. We will be here. Thanks again, and we are out. We are out. That makes sense. We're out of the closet. <laughs>